Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. everyone to episode 33 of Americans Watching the Footy. This is our round 13 preview. I am Benjamin Castle. I am Ethan Castle. And one thing is for certain, had either of us played for the minor premiers in the grand final last year, they would have lost. We will talk about the Stephen May, Jake Melksham incident. We're going to preview all six games, but first let's just run over some headlines that have kind of dominated the AFL this week. First off, that May Melksham thing. So basically... They were out drinking, eating. Pretty nice restaurant, apparently. Yeah, place looked really good. Maybe this will end up being good PR for the restaurant. Anyway, at some point, they got into an argument. May said to Melksham that Melbourne wouldn't have won the grand final if he had played. Reminder, they won by 74. And I don't know how much of these insults were serious, how much was just guys messing around and drinking, but things got out of hand, turned physical. And Melksham isn't a guy to fuck around with. Apparently, he was a... Pretty good amateur boxer. The aftermath from all of that, May will not be playing this week. He was disciplined not so much for the incident, but for drinking while still in concussion protocol. I see why teams would want to avoid that. You know, I don't entirely agree with the logic behind, like, the Michael Frederick suspension. Alcohol has kind of been a common theme. He's not going to play this week for the Dockers after being caught drinking in public during a six-day break. You need to have at least a full week off seems to be the logic there. You know, if you're aware of that rule, then you want to celebrate and win just a drink in your own house or apartment. Easy. I would think a lot of these guys probably do want to kick back and have a few to celebrate a win. Especially a win as big as that one was beating second place Brisbane. But there are rules to abide by. So that's the fallout for Frederick. As for Melksham, he's not going to be playing this week either. He actually had to have a surgical procedure on his hand for an infection that came as a result of this. So considering that his hand had an infection, considering that the restaurant has been publicly voicing complaints about damages, could assume this was probably broken glass, a cut on his hand that got infected, something to that extent. In non-alcohol news, Daisy Pierce is joining the coaching staff at Geelong. They're really building up an all-star list of coaches. The Melbourne legend is going to be starting this mentorship, kind of assistant coaching acceleration program within the next couple years. It's going to involve her being mentored by Chris Scott and having some sort of assistant role with the men's side. So between her and Eddie Betts, got a lot of great expertise that'll be available for Cats players, young and old. I know that Geelong had been courting her for some sort of assistant job for a long time, and looks like they've finally done it. And considering the lack of success in terms of wins and losses from the Cats AFLW program, yes, they at least won a game this past year, but 
her expertise will definitely be valuable there. They seem to be making strides, but they're obviously a ways behind, although some of these expansion teams that are coming in will likely slot in behind them. Anyway, that's the sort of league-wide news, the major headlines. As for the actual footy this week, it's another bye week. We've got six games. Considering that neither of our teams are playing, maybe these previews won't be quite as long, though there are a couple of pretty interesting games in the mix. I think there's really three that stand out, two that could be interesting, and one that definitely sits far behind the others. So watch these three standout games fail to deliver on expectations, and then we'll end up talking about the titanic GWS-North Melbourne clash for years to come. I like Jason Dunstall's little crack about that on Bounce the other day when he mentioned, you know, there's only one game next Sunday. We'll be on early next week after the huge game between GWS and North Melbourne. Something along those lines. Yeah, this round is super spread out. Between a Thursday night opener and the Queen's birthday match on Monday, these six games are spread out over five days, so you'll have plenty of time to rest between games. I'm definitely going to be better rested than a lot of previous weeks between me having been in school for the first few rounds. Fucking nerd. And just hopefully just getting back to somewhat of a normal Pacific time zone circadian rhythm. However, I'm definitely going to be up and ready for Richmond and Port Adelaide that Thursday night round opener. This will be the first time since 2019 that they'll have played at the G. Between then and now, they've had three really great games at the Adelaide Oval. The game in round 11 in 2020 was one that the two of us and our dad watched together And I think that might have been the game more than any that really brought me back into being super invested in the footy. Because once it went away during COVID, forgot about it for a little bit, came back, watched for the fun of it, and then just the ridiculous M-shaped score of that game, how intense it all got, made me remember why I was so interested in the beginning. I also remember that game because Dusty gave up 100 meters to Tom Rockliffe. Then, in a rainy prelim final in 2020, the teams combined for fewer points than Port Adelaide scored in that round 11 game. It was a 46-40 Richmond win. It was just a grind of a game, and obviously, the Tigers made good on that eight days later. And then last year, in round four, Robbie Gray kicked a late-winning goal, and Port held on to win by two. The past few years, this has been a matchup where the teams have been Pretty even going into it, and that's the case again for this round, even though we wouldn't have expected both teams to be outside the eight at this point if we were looking at this matchup at the start of the year. Richmond are six and five, they're in tenth. Port five and six, they're in twelfth. This one will get underway in the traditional Thursday night time slot, 720 local time in Melbourne. That means if you're in South Australia, it's at 650. It'll be at 220 a.m. for us on the west coast of the United States, 520 in the morning on the East Coast, and if you're not one of the fortunate ones who has Watch AFL, you can tune in on Fox Soccer Plus. That's where most of the games will be this round, and you know how we mentioned that it was rainy when they met in the 2020 Finals? Well, it looks like it could be wet for this one. I don't know if it's going to be a downpour, but it looks like not going to be clear skies, certainly. See how that affects the game? I don't really know who that favors. I guess that probably plays to Richmond's advantage, but I'm not sure. Tigers do have a good track record in the rain. They're very willing to switch to more of a handballing style. They've got so much run from the back lines that it could definitely suit them. However, 
Port did win that slog of a game in Cairns, and they outlasted the Saints in wretched conditions there. And speaking of all that movement, the Tigers will have an important piece of that back in Noah Balta. He's returning after missing the past couple rounds with a hamstring injury. Payne Lambert also returning from a hip injury. A big list crunch right now at Punt Road. But amidst that, Judson Clark is debuting and he's lining up at half four for this game. Unfortunately, that means Morris Rioli Jr. is paying the price and was named two reserves for this week. Jack Ross and Jason Castagna were also named to the VFL side. Matthew Parker is not in the VFL, but also not an emergency. In that case, seems like he'd probably be sick if he were to not be listed at all. Or could just be getting rested, theoretically. Good news, Hugo Ralph-Smith is staying in. He is going to be officially listed as an interchange to start this game. I know that official start of the game designation doesn't matter a ton, but I feel like it's worth noting because there are a lot of different ways he can be deployed. Speaking of players that can be deployed all over the place, Balta is set at full forward in the lineup, though we've seen him play all over the ground at certain points this year. Maybe not as versatile as Jaden Short, but close. Only change for Port Adelaide. Sam Hayes is listed as omitted, but I believe it's actually an illness-related absence. He wasn't at the captain's run. In turn, Lockie Jones has been elevated from the emergency role to being in the 22 as an interchange, so not the starting 18, but the 22. Mitch Georgiatis listed as an emergency possibility. If he doesn't play, your starting ruck is going to be Jeremy Finlayson. As for the second... You go with Todd Marshall and take him out of the forward line, despite him being the most accurate volume kick in the competition. You go with the sheer size and physicality of Charlie Dixon. There are a couple directions that Ken Hinckley could go, and I'm intrigued to see which one he decides to take. He's on the smaller side for the role, but they have had Sam Powell Pepper take some forward hitouts thing is, in the back two-thirds of the ground, at least, you need someone on the larger side to match up against Toby Nankervis and Yvonne Soldo. That's why I was thinking Dixon would be the more logical choice. I was surprised how quiet Nankervis was overall in that game against Sydney, even when the Tigers were playing well. That definitely caught me off guard. think he's looking for a bounce-back game. I don't know for Port Adelaide how they're going to be mentally heading into this one. Kind of a weird spot, coming off a bye, coming off a win where you did what you needed to, but it was kind of on the unfulfilling side, I guess you could say. That said, when these teams meet, it's usually a really good game, and I hope that continues. I will give the disclaimer, if this game isn't super close, I think it goes in Richmond's favor. I don't think Port Adelaide wins this game by, you know, three-plus goals. So, power fans, I may have just jinxed the Tigers, you're welcome. And if Port do grind this one out, and they'll have to grind it out, Alir Alir will have to play in his All-Australian form. Question is, do you put him on one specific person? Without Tom Lynch back there still, he's still on the sideline with his hamstring injury. There isn't one super clear target? I would say start him off in kind of a roving role, and then if one of Dusty or Revolt gets going, you adjust on the fly and glue him onto one of those. Dusty, Revolt, Balta... Shea Bolton even, he's been quiet the past couple games as well. Still finds a way to make the highlight reel every week. This is a game that should almost certainly give us at least one or two marker goal of the week nominees, especially with only five other games to go up against. Even in the bad conditions, I expect to be impressed 
whether it's Bolton, Dixon. I'm excited to see Charlie Dixon against solid competition. How do the Tigers try to match up with him? Do they give Josh Gibkiss the Charlie role like they gave him the Buddy role, or do they go elsewhere? None of the Richmond back line is particularly small. All of Dylan Grimes, Josh Gibkiss, and Robbie Tarrant are between 6'4 and 6'5, but Dixon still has a couple inches on him. So with how Gibkiss was able to shut down Buddy for at least the first half, by and large, I think maybe you do start with Gibkiss on Charlie and then you adjust from there. One way or another, in order to make up for Hayes' absence in the Rock, I think that Ali Wines is going to need to play his best game of the year with Richmond's proficiency in clearances, especially through Dion Prestia, also with Trent Koch in sometimes. I think that Port needs to position themselves particularly well off those contests. And Curtis is pretty good at hitouts to advantage, but there's still ground balls to be gotten by anyone in any stoppage situation. Tigers are favored by 13 and a half. I'd probably put it a couple points lower, but seems fair. I'd probably put it closer to about nine and a half. I'd say that's fair. As you said earlier, I think Richmond have a much greater chance at winning by a large margin than Port do. And with how much we're thinking about this matchup and how well it's delivered the past few years, I'm happy that they're going to be meeting again at the Adelaide Oval. That will be in round 21. Three of the six games this round are at the MCG. Four out of the six are in Melbourne. Friday Night Footy will also be at the MCG this week as Essendon plays one of their rare home games there instead of at Marvel. Ironic because it just happens to fall when it looks like there's rain in the forecast. They will be hosting Carlton. This one gets underway in your typical Friday night time slot. 7.50 p.m. in Australia, 2.50 a.m. on the West Coast of the United States, 5.50 a.m. on the East Coast, and like almost every game this week, all but one, it'll be televised on Fox Soccer Plus. Essendon are 2-9. and nine. They're in 16th. They've had a couple good things going for them in the past couple games, but their defensive structure has always been the issue. They will be getting Mason Redmond back from suspension, so hopefully they'll be able to be more competent. Carlton are 8-3. and three. They're in 7th. That is a bit skewed with the uneven number of games played. Two of the teams ahead of them are 8-4 and four, technically, so you could make the case that really the Blues are in 5th. Either way, they need to take care of business here. They took care of business against the Dons last year at the MCG in round seven after getting in an early 20-point hole, winning a shootout 123-107. to Considering the forecast, can't expect quite as much scoring this time, even if the rain isn't that significant. Combine that with the prior night's game also being played in wet conditions. However, Carlton have plenty of forwards that are capable of kicking big bags, and it looks like Harry Mackay might be back in time. He's been out with his knee injury since he heard that in round eight against the Crows. But the bigger story for Carlton in terms of selection is a feel-good story. They had one at the start of the year with Sam Doherty. They have another one here in defender Caleb Marchbank, who will be playing his first AFL game in 1,066 days, just under three years. And he's going to be thrust into things right away as the Blues are going to be without Jacob Wiedering for an extended period. Also of note, the Blues defense will have their hands full with a more complete Essendon forward line with the return of Matt Guelphy. Jake Stringer also expected to be back. Both were battling hamstring injuries. Stringer's a bit more minor. 
They will not be getting Andrew McGrath back yet. He tweaked his groin during bi-week training. I hope he'll end up okay. Essendon played decently well when the rain came in their round 11 loss to Port Adelaide. They were in a 30-point hole, but managed to make things somewhat respectable. If the rain plays a factor, I think it could be an equalizer here and help a team that needs all the help they can get defensively. That said, still not easy to stop Charlie Curnow, Corey Durden, and the rest of them, whether or not Makai is good to go. Don't forget Zach Fisher in that mix, too. Hasn't been the biggest of the goal scorers, but have noticed him getting some good runs toward the pockets a few times. Fisher scored the dagger in the Blues' round 10 win over the Swans after that big Adam Chera spoil, which is probably one of the most underrated plays of the season up to this point. I also think a game that's more based on handballs could work into Durden's hands to do something really exciting. He's definitely been one of my favorites to watch these last few rounds. He definitely looks like a 22 under 22 player. That's going to be fun at the end of the year because there are far more than 22 deserving candidates, but he and Ralph Smith both could definitely be in the mix for that. Guys that I find myself singing the praises of every single week. Tom DeConing is 22, but he's going to have his hands full and his matchup with Sam Draper should be really fun. Draper just 23 ever since getting completely outclassed in the first game. He's pretty consistently been one of the better pieces for the Bombers. Carlton favored by 16 and a half. Would make that a few points higher if the forecast wasn't calling for some rain. A little higher? Yeah, a little. Probably more in the low 20s. I would have pushed it up toward probably the mid to high 20s. I just don't think Essendon would be able to run with the Blues for that long, even with Stringer back. Hopefully he is at 100% because he's been in and out of the lineup throughout the year, Stringer. He's one of the most dynamic players in the league when he's at full health. So here's to him being in full health. I'm not expecting the Bombers to win this game, but I'm hoping they show something that keeps us compelled for the rest of the year and sends a message to the other finals caliber teams they'll be facing that they shouldn't be taken lightly. Speaking of finals caliber teams or finals caliber team, Fremantle, hot off their win over the Brisbane Lions, host Hawthorne at Optus Stadium in the first of two games on Saturday in Australia. Friday night into Saturday morning in the United States. It'll be a 2.10 p.m. local bounce in Perth. So that's 4.10 p.m. in the eastern states of Australia. For us American viewers, that is 2.10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Saturday the 11th, 11.10 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Friday the 10th. This is one of the other Fox Soccer Plus games. I will note, though, even though the Hawks probably aren't a finals caliber team this year, this is a rematch of the 2013 Grand Final that the Hawks won. The flag mantle dreams are back on for the Dockers, who now sit at 9-3 after a big win over Brisbane. They do sit behind the Lions by percentage still, so they are technically in third. The Hawks at 4-8, they're in 13th. These teams met twice last year, with the Dockers claiming both a 15-point win at home in round four and a 62-point thrashing in Tasmania in round 17. That's really uncharacteristic of Hawthorne to play that poorly in Launceston. Fremantle have won three straight meetings overall. As we mentioned, they will be without Michael Frederick this week after he played a game of Drink the Beer. Hey, who wants to play Drink the Beer? Right here. However, they will have some reinforcements that's going to create a bit of a roster squeeze even without Frederick. Sam Switkowski's back from his two-week suspension. Matt Taberner should be back from his back problems. Michael Walters is expected back after dealing with hamstring tightness. 
And perhaps most importantly of all, Nat Fife is ready to go. Fife played his first waffle game in a decade plus last week for Peel Thunder. At every quarter break, fans streamed onto the oval like he had just kicked his thousandth goal to try to get autographs and photos. Fremantle ended up so paranoid that they actually kept him away from the main training group for a few days out of COVID fears. Seems like overkill, but this is Western Australia we're dealing with. I was going to say, that is a very Western Australia move. Happy WA Day, by the way, for those of y'all out there. I know that was this past week. I mean, sure, give him an extra COVID test or something, but I don't know. Either way, he's playing as of now. That's great to see. And again, even without Frederick and with Heath Chapman expected to miss a couple more weeks with hamstring injury, they're still going to have to find some guys to cut off from the list for this week. Thankfully, they've got someone that they can move back into defense to fill Heath Chapman's spot, that being Griffin Logue. It's unfortunate with how he's shown in that full forward spot this past round, kicking double the goals than he had had for his entire career before that, drawing even with Jake Kolajashny on the all-time list. But he's still a natural fullback and a more proficient one than you recognized at the start of the year for sure. Yeah, that game against Geelong, he really impressed me with his work on Jeremy Cameron. Nathan Schmuck projects Ethan Hughes, Lloyd Meek, and Darcy Tucker as the casualties to accommodate the other changes in the lineup this week. I get Meek being out in particular. It's rough with how well he played in that second ruck role, sometimes pushing forward. But with Hawthorne being generally weaker in the ruck, even with Ned Reeves back, and with Maximum Lunch himself, Max Lynch, likely to exit concussion protocol, I think the Dockers should be more than fine with the combination of Sean Darcy and Rory Lobb, who we've been impressed with all over the ground this year. It also looks like Jack Scrimshaw should be able to get through concussion protocol and play. Finn McGinnis and James Warple will be pushing for selection after good VFL performances, perhaps Warple was inspired by the good play of his friend Brian Myers, wanted to get back onto that level. Josh Gavilich only predicts that there are going to be the two changes with Lynch and Scrimshaw in for Jack Gunston, re-aggravating his ankle injury, and Connor McDonald as the other casualty. Dockers are favored for this one by 32.5. That seems a little high, even though I think it's very conceivable for Fremantle to run away with this game. But I think because of their running ability... The Hawks might actually be able to withstand the pressure and make this a really good fight. This could be a sneaky, exciting game. I think a lot of it depends on what kind of pace the Dockers try to run at. Maybe in trying to counter the faster pace that Hawthorne has, they'll slow it down. Or maybe they'll say, yeah, let's make this a shootout. We can outscore you. Look at what we did to the Lions. Chankwath Jaff is going to be one to watch this week. You know, is he going to be roaming around defensively trying to... Spoil balls, is he going to be looking to play in sort of a running role to relieve that forward pressure? I don't know how he's going to be deployed, but the Hawks are going to need him to have probably his best game since he was injured. And James Sisley is going to need to be stepping up right away. Took a while for him to really get into the game last round. Same thing with Jai Newcomb. With the all-out forward assault that that Fremantle can put on, Sisley can't afford a lot of early missteps. I'm not saying that I expect Bailey Banfield to kick four again, but there's going to be someone in that forward group that surprises us in a good way with a good performance. I think it's highly unlikely the Hawks win this game, but I think they can definitely make the Dockers sweat. And if you give them a chance in the final minutes, maybe they believe long enough and they hang around and they pull this one out. 
I still see that maybe a 10% chance of happening, but this could be a tricky matchup for the Dockers. I think it's going to be a well-coached game. Despite having the lowest record of the first-year coaches, I think the changes that Sam Mitchell has made have been the most savvy out of him, Michael Voss and Craig McRae. And then Justin Longmere, it seems like he's finally been able to put all the pieces together properly in his third year. So chess match is a bit of a cliche, but this should be a good chess match of a football game. Could be a speed chess match. Thank you to Anchor by Spotify for sponsoring us. Thank you to all the other podcatchers that host us. Thank you all for tuning in once again. If you aren't following us already on Twitter, we are at Americans Footy. We give our live reactions to every round and give thoughts throughout the week as well. I'm individually on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I am on Twitter at Castle Media, that's Castle with a K. And my cat, Brian Harambe, is on Instagram at cat named Brian. We found out that he really enjoys sliding on Ethan's bed sheets while he's making his bed. He's also very fond of cardboard. And Ethan just went to look. Right now, he's just loafing around in the windowsill. Care to join him? Why is there smoke coming out of your oven, Seymour? The fourth game of the round, getting into early Saturday morning, pretty much all across the U.S., except for Hawaii. And the Saturday night game in Australia is one that I'm trying to get some of my friends to watch because it's the only game on one of the normal Fox Sports networks this round. It's on Fox Sports 1, and it should be a good one. A matchup of two teams in the top five. You got second place Brisbane at 9-3, and three, hosting fifth place St. Kilda at 8-3 and three at the GABA. This one will bounce at 7.25 local, so that'll be 2.25 a.m. Pacific, 5.25 a.m. Eastern for us in the States. These teams met just once last year, and it was at Metricon Stadium instead of the GABA, because at the time, travel guidelines with Victoria were very weird. It was okay to go to the southern end of Queensland, but not into the Brisbane metro area, so they played the game at Gold Coast. I mean, kind of a throwback for old Brisbane Bears fans, probably. And the Saints ended up actually winning this game by 32, pulling off a pretty significant upset. The Lions could not kick straight that day. They kicked just 8-15. I'd say they made up for that when they went to Metricon earlier this year. This has the potential to be a really, really high-scoring game. The Saints will still go to Max King a decent amount. He'll need to be pretty good on his leads, matching up against probably Harris Andrews, someone that's closer to him in height than a lot of key defenders. King has pretty good hands, but there should still be opportunities off those contests. A bunch of goal sneak types for St. Kilda could get a decent amount of action. Potentially, Mitch Owens could get another goal or two that way. He had two on debut. Another one of those potential goal kickers is Jack Higgins, was out for a game in which the team clearly didn't miss him more than a doubling up of North in double protocols, concussion and COVID. Additionally, Hunter Clark will be back from COVID protocols. And the Saints have a bit of a list crunch themselves in the forward half. Dan Butler and Jack Billings have played well once again in the VFL. Seems like Butler is kicking more accurately than he had been previously. There's potential for Cooper Sharman or Marcus Windhager to lose spots, among others. But Sharman and Windhager are the two that Josh Gavlich expects to be on the wrong side of the selection this week. For the Lions, the big one is that Joe Danaher is likely ready to go, but... Whose spot is he going to take? You could either take out someone bigger like Darcy Fort, Eric Hipwood, Daniel McStay, Jackson Pryor, Devin Robertson, as well as he's played. Really, any of these guys getting left out would be pretty unfair, but 
It's also pretty unfair after his monster VFL performance that it's likely Reese Matheson doesn't get in. Holy shit. 46 disposals and 17 clearances. And as well as Mitch Robinson has done, it's tough for him to get in. Now, I don't think one of the names that Michael Whiting suggested would really be a possible out. He suggested that they could consider taking Oscar McInerney out, which I think is about as likely as... I don't want to make a really ridiculous promise here. I don't want to have to bike all the way to Chicago, but I just don't think it's going to happen. By the way, that's a reference to a baseball podcast. Baseball blogger Jake Mintz said if the White Sox hired Tony La Russa, he would walk all the way to Chicago. Instead of walking, he ended up biking and turning into a whole fundraiser, but he actually made it there and even got a signed baseball from Tony La Russa. The Hall of Famer baseball person himself. The only way that I could see Big O missing is if he's got some sort of injury. Whiting says that he sees Darcy Ford as most likely to miss. I guess that's understandable, even with how well Ford has done at times, because Danaher can moonlight as a second ruck. I was thinking Jackson Pryor would be more likely. I need to just have Eric Hibwood pushing forward a little bit more at times. I think Ford, now that he's kicked a behind, has lost a lot of his value. You know, that one behind kind of ruins the whole Darcy Ford experience. On a more serious note, Darcy Gardner is likely to miss this game with a rib injury. Whiting thinks that one of Jack Payne or Ryan Lester comes into the frame. He's going with Jack Payne. I wonder if maybe instead the Lions could slide some guys around so that someone like Fort doesn't have to miss. If you could maybe make that only change just Danaher for Gardner. I don't know if you could shuffle the pieces around to do that, but I think it's at the very least worth considering. These are great problems for teams to have to have that too many guys are doing well to all put in the list. Actually, I'd say it's a great problem to have during the season and not a great problem to have in the offseason when some of those guys that aren't getting the time that they think they deserve want to get away. But we're only a little bit over halfway through this season. Also of note, the Lions have a pretty short injury list to begin with at the moment. It was just a few weeks ago they were starting to pile up there. They're, overall, they've had pretty good luck with injuries so far. So if that doesn't continue, don't blame us. That's just things evening out. But Kai Lohman is starting to work his way back as well. So I would think he'll probably be in the VFL for the foreseeable future, but he can make a case to get back in there. Life is good if you're Chris Fagan or Dom Ambrosio. I mean, if your name is Dom Ambrosio, you're having a pretty good life to begin with because you were blessed to be named Dom Ambrosio. No word on if he's related to Essendon midseason draft pick Massimo D'Ambrosio. Anyway, even coming off a loss, things look good for the Lions. They are favored for this game by 17 and a half. I think this goes one of two ways. Assuming the Lions win, either it'll be like the Port Adelaide round one game where they get off to a slow start and then pull away late, or they just come out on fire after last week's loss, open up a big lead, and make sure the Saints never mount a charge. So you're thinking then that if this is a more contested game throughout, the Saints have the edge? like they did maybe in that Crows game, even when only two players were firing? Yeah, I'd say so. Even though I don't think the Saints are going to just win this game off of two players, I think it's going to need to be a collective team effort, and it's going to need to be like almost every other win for them this year outside of that Crows win, where someone you don't expect is going to have to step up. That's usually been their recipe this year, and it's been a lot of fun to see that. I think this game is going to be a barometer for where the Saints stand in terms of top four prospects. They're part of that three-loss crowd right now. I don't think a loss by any means takes them 
out of that picture, but it obviously does some sort of damage and Brett Ratton and company would have to control that damage internally more than anything. If they hang around in this game, regardless of outcome, you feel a lot better about their top four chances. I think this is going to be a really interesting game from a coaching perspective. We know Fagan's a good coach. Ratton has passed every test this year with the third quarter adjustments. That matchup and how Fagan tries to counter third quarter adjustments in a scenario where the Lions have a halftime lead, I think that could tell us a lot about how teams perceive St. Kilda. By the way, these teams will meet again round 22 at Marvel Stadium. Could be a game with major top four implications. I know it's a ways down the road, but man, there are some good matchups in round 22. Marvel Stadium will see one game this round, and it's the big one, ladies and gentlemen. We've been hyping it up all week for the few thousand people that will be there. North Melbourne and Greater Western Sydney, I will be somewhat shocked if the attendance reaches five figures for this one. They drew under 3,500 for this matchup last year, which actually ended up being a really exciting game. Round 13, they met in Tasmania, ended up tying at 94. Obviously, neither of these teams look like finals contenders this year, but at the very least, the Giants have changed the tone surrounding them in how they've played since Mark McVeigh took over as coach. The Giants are at 3-8, and eight, they're in 15th. North 1-11, they're in 17th, with their only win being against, of course, not just dead last West Coast, but West Coast with a bunch of waffle call-ups. Five of them, in fact. It's amazing just how different the trajectory is between these two teams, despite being so close on the ladder. You see so much talk surrounding North about maybe David Noble having lost the players, disconnect between executives and coach, executives and players, coach and players. That whole triangle looks kind of fucked right now. And then there are rumors swirling about Jason Horn Francis already wanting to go home to South Australia. Adding fuel to the fire, he did like one of those, you know, fake trade Instagram posts this week. I believe it was one of the ones that Seven posted. It was like Horn Francis and a third to port for Zach Butters, a first and a second. I'm not a fan of these fake trade things because most of them are so outlandish. And I'm not a fan of getting all bent out of shape over who likes what on Instagram or who unfollows what. You can save that for ESPN talking about LeBron or about the NFL. At the same time, with the promise that Horn Francis can bring to North Melbourne, and especially because he's not the only young player that could deliver for them longer term, it is important to track whether or not he is going to stay. Nobody in North's draft class from this past spring, in Australia I would say, have signed anything longer than their two-year base deals. Lineup-wise, it looks like some of the guys that North were expecting to get back out of the bye are still a week or two away, and I mean... No reason to fast track them considering it's not like there's a ton to play for. You're playing the long game with development here. Those guys being Aiden Bonner, Aaron Hall, Jared Polek, Cam Zurhar. However, Phoenix Spicer could be up for selection considering that he just played in the VFL this past week. They'll be without Ben Mackay once again as he is in concussion protocol. If they're going to just do the most logical thing and shift around the fewest pieces possible. That would entail elevating Atu Bosenavulagi from the injury sub role into a full position, which could give him a chance of redemption because he struggled some earlier this year. Bosenavulagi for Makai is the only change that Riley Beveridge suggested on In The Mix on the AFL website. That said, I wouldn't be surprised if they swing a few more changes, perhaps including Spicer or Jaden Stevenson, who's played really well in the VFL. Beveridge thinks that 
either Stevenson or Charlie Lazaro ends up in the medical sub role this week, but I have no clue what North are going to look like. I think they could end up with far more changes than are being speculated here. And I think how they play, regardless of outcome, is going to really set the tone for these final few games. And I think we could see that David Noble's coaching for his job, not so much from wins and losses, but just in terms of how they win or lose, more likely how they lose. If they put up more fights akin to the Sydney game, play some quarters like the second quarter against Melbourne or the first quarter against Gold Coast, and hopefully they don't just completely peter out afterward. Yeah, if they do that, there are reasons for optimism. There need to be small victories. We probably shouldn't be getting all excited about a team playing one good quarter. I forget which commentator it was a few weeks ago or which analyst said that this being considered a victory is a really bad reflection on the club, but it's what we got. They need to show progress. They need to show traction from week to week. And I'd like to see a big game out of Nick Larkey, considering that Phil Davis is still a week away from returning from his hamstring injury. It's been a while since Larkey really went off other than getting into fights after plays. So I'd like to see more out of him. With Davis still out, you'll probably see Larkey against Sam Taylor a decent amount. Maybe Lockheed Whitfield could be back there. Maybe he could be back to some sort of wing action or maybe even pushing forward. He did kick three goals in that one game. He's ready to play after recovering from his ankle injury. Additionally, Callan Ward is finishing his concussion recovery. He should be in in time for this one. Mark McVay has swung a decent amount of changes in his first couple weeks, trying to feel out how the list would respond to the differences in his style compared to that of Leon Cameron. Stephen Cornelio has definitely been one to respond well. Seems like the midfield formations and play have catered more to his skill set. And he kept up his good work from the offensive outpouring against West Coast in the close loss to Brisbane, in which they burst out to a 30-point lead in the first quarter and stuck with the Lions the entire way. Nick Haynes and Adam Kennedy missed that game against the Lions with illnesses There's potential for both of them to get back in, especially with Bobby Hill sidelined after beginning treatment for testicular cancer. I'm not going to be watching this game live. It's one of the few times I'm actually going to go out on a Saturday because if there's a Saturday to do it on, this is the one. This is the only Saturday night game this round for us. That said, I'm going to go back and try to study this one. And I'd like to see a couple things out of North in particular. I'd like to see someone really step up defensively with Ben McKay out. I liked what I saw from Aiden Core last week. If he could string together two good games, that would be really nice to see because at times this year, I've thought he's one of the weakest links. Kyron Hayden is another one that I really haven't seen much from and would like to see some strides forward. If he has a good game and Core has a second straight good game, that's enough positives for the week for North, regardless of the final score. GWS favored for this one by 34 and a half. Surprise, Braden Pruce isn't considered to be in the mix for this one. Haven't heard anything about injury concerns for him. Maybe there are some lingering effects from whatever illness he had, but it looks like McVeigh likes Matt Flynn enough to keep him as the one ruck. And after getting thoroughly outclassed by Oscar McInerney and Darcy Fort a couple weeks ago, I'm challenging Flynn to be better against Todd Goldstein and Tristan Jerry. I was really thinking that with North North's rucks being probably the best part of the ground for them that you'd have to put Pruce in there too. Maybe there's something that the reporters are missing, or maybe there's something that we don't know in terms of Pruce's condition. I would think they have every reason to play two rucks with the way teams need to match up with North. 
And they can kind of mirror North in a way in having whoever's not taking the contest themselves pushing forward, especially Pruce. Flynn isn't nearly as accurate of a kick as Pruce is. So that's another way I can challenge Flynn to be more accurate. In America, we're a little under a month away from celebrating not being British, but Australia is still part of the Commonwealth, still identifies with those things, and the Queen's birthday celebration is one of the ways they do that. The Queen's birthday match will cap off this round on Australian Monday, Sunday night for us here in the U.S. It'll be at 3.20 p.m. Monday at the MCG. First time this game will be at the MCG in a couple of years. For those of us in the U.S., if you're on the East Coast, it'll be Monday at 1.20 in the morning. It'll be Sunday at 10.20 in the evening for us here on the West Coast. And this one will be on Fox Soccer Plus like four of the other games this round. This is, I believe, the 21st edition of the Queen's Birthday match between Collingwood and Melbourne. It's technically a Collingwood home game. Collingwood enter in 8th at 7-5 after a pretty gritty win against Hawthorne, where they had to withstand a surprising late charge from the Hawks in the rain. Meanwhile, Melbourne will be looking to bounce back from two straight losses after starting the year 10-0. That second loss coming to the Sydney Swans in one of the two best games of last round. For my money, the most consistently back and forth of those games. Last time these teams played, it was in very different circumstances. COVID restrictions moved the game from the MCG to the SCG to get a crowd. And in Sydney, Collingwood pulled off a surprising 17-point win to send off Nathan Buckley on a high note. I'm looking forward to really getting to enjoy the Queen's birthday match in its full glory for the first time. Including the big freeze, of course. You know, I joked about how lame the ice bucket challenge was at the time and how it seems even lamer now. And I love that Australia took, instead of turning this into a dumb social media fad that people just did for clout, they took this, turned it into a serious fundraiser and had some fun with it while doing it. You know, seeing people go down this slide in costumes is really fun. Gillan McLaughlin dressed as Meatloaf last year. That was probably the best of them. This year, there was already one held near Geelong at one of the local clubs, and Geelong team employee and superfan Sam Morfoot did it dressed as Joel Selwood. Perfect attention to detail on the costume. Has it bandages, had the blood on his face, the whole deal. So I wish we had something like that. I don't know if Australia would be able to make clapping for frontline workers cool. I think that was just destined to be lame, but you guys can make anything cool. And I'm looking forward to enjoying this and seeing a whole lot of people wearing beanies. And on a more serious note, this is a cause that we really appreciate. Like so many others, our family has been touched by ALS. We lost a very dear friend to it a bit more than a decade ago at this point. So it's great to see awareness and fundraising for a condition that tragically affects so many people. Getting back to the footy side of things, though, Collingwood's injury report is starting to get a little clearer. Looks like Brody Majacek is a test for this round after a bit of knee trouble late against Hawthorne. We know that Reef McGinnis will be out, though. He is the second Magpie this year to require season-ending surgery after dislocating his shoulder, joining Nathan Kruger in that regard. And that's an obvious spot for Jamie Elliott to get back in the action. Elliott was a laid out with illness for that one. There are some injury questions for the Demons. First off, we already mentioned the Stephen May-Jake Melksham incident. May will not be playing this week after drinking while in concussion protocol. 
Both him and Melksham are going to have to partner with one of the club's community service programs. Melksham also had surgery for an infection on his hand, which sounds minor. At least it'll be enough to keep him out this week. I don't know about long term. We do know that Sam Wiedemann has once again made a case to be in there after a good VFL performance, but which Brown does he replace? Does he replace Ben? Does he replace Mitch? I've made a case for Wiedemann to be in the past couple weeks. He had a couple highlights in the game against Fremantle, so I was surprised to see him drop last round. I was thinking that he would stay in ahead of Mitch Brown, and I think it's more likely that he comes in for Mitch rather than Ben, although I think Ben needs some sort of wake-up call. He's been goalless the past three rounds and hasn't been noticed all that much outside of a few plays. Some of that was offset by Max Gaughan stepping up last round at full forward, but Ben has to get back into his normal form. And I think part of what might get better reprieve is that Tom McDonald has sometimes been put in the forward lines at times when the decent needed that boost, but his list rank injury is going to keep him out long term. We don't know exactly the extent of it yet, but at minimum, that's probably about three months. Also, Harrison Petty has been playing a bit injured the past couple rounds. He had some knee issues against Fremantle and then got knocked in the shoulder against Sydney. He's got to pass a test still. And if he isn't good to go, Trent Rivers could come back in. Looks like Jake Lever should be all right. Don't see anything from Riley Beveridge on In The Mix suggesting otherwise, though Lever was clearly slow and a bit injury hampered last round, taking just two marks. I think everything lines up for the Demons to make a statement, show that everything's just fine. But with this being a big marquee game, a rivalry of sorts... I think this one has a way of staying close, and I think the odds makers are aware of that. They've got Melbourne favored by 15 and a half. I don't exactly know how to read this one because without May back there and with Adam Tomlinson having struggled to fill his shoes and with Harrison Petty potentially still out as well, Collingwood's big markers could really take advantage. Ollie Henry could grab a couple big ones again, like the one that got him nominated for Mark of the Week this past round. I think Jamie Elliott could definitely fly. If Brody Majacek is in, you know he will. There are a lot of players that could take that step or flight for Collingwood. There's also the Jack Ginnivan factor. He is going to get someone in that back line riled up, and he'll probably be able to exploit that. I'm looking for a big game from Luke Jackson. We got that big game from Max Gaughan last week. It's been a while since Jackson had one. If he gets going, this could really be a return to normalcy and dominance for Melbourne. Also of note, We'll wait and see. Maybe Aiden Begg gets back in over Mason Cox. The bigger focus in the ruck for Collingwood will be if Darcy Cameron can put up a performance, anything close to similar to last week where he was absolutely dominant. If he's able to do that against Max Gone, I think it'll make the Pies situation a lot more complicated for the long run, looking at negotiating between him, Brody Grundy. Likely Cox would go by the wayside then. Hopefully he'd get a shot elsewhere. Would love to see him in blue and gold. These teams, by the way, also meet in round 21. I think there's a very real chance that both teams enter that game in a completely different position than they are now, whether that's for better or for worse. Could be two wildly different games in terms of the buildup, the tone leading up to the game, the positions of both clubs. Either the May and Melksham incident will be completely forgotten about when Melbourne get back to the regular form, Or it could be the beginning of the end, and it could be a central part of a Jagger Skillbeck video a couple years down the line. That said, successful teams have had their share of confrontations and stuff. 
the Oakland A's of the 1970s, the one three straight World Series, were basically fighting in the clubhouse every day. So it happens. Are Melbourne the new mustache gang? I mean, Jake Lever's got a pretty great mustache. Luke Jackson has had an all right one at times. Do you think they could potentially give us a 2021 Melbourne Demons thank you honk? Wouldn't rule it out, but it would be tough to call them the greatest team ever yet. That's all the time we've got for this episode. We had a lot of fun previewing this round. It's one that on paper doesn't exactly jump out at you, but I think when you sit down and take a closer look, there's a lot of excitement in the works. Even with the lesser matches like Essendon and Carlton and one where you're looking toward the future in North and Greater Western Sydney. We look forward to having you along for the ride as we give all our live commentary on Twitter at AmericansFooty. I personally can be found at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. I am at BenjaminHK01. That's K with a K. And Grian Harambe, the footy cat, can be found at Cat Named Grian on Instagram. He is not on Twitter, although maybe I should set up a Twitter account for him and just post whatever he does when he walks across the keyboard, which he does pretty regularly. It's actually a pretty good idea. Thankfully, he's never prematurely ended our recording, though I don't rule it out in the future. Have a good one, guys. Have a happy footy.